Target ALS Foundation is a nonprofit whose mission is to accelerate ALS research into successful clinical trials. Since 2013, the foundation has built an innovative ecosystem for biomedical research that has catalyzed ALS drug discovery through collaborations. Target ALS envisions a world where everyone with ALS lives. Hello, everyone. Um, uh, I'm Stan Crook. I'm the host of the Enlarm podcast series. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, today, uh, we have a, a special guest joining us, Manish Rezangani, uh, who tells me that I pronounce his name better than most of the people in India. So I, I'm already a, a giant step forward. Manish, welcome. Thank you, Stan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. And uh, Manish, um, maybe we can just just uh, start with a, a little of your background because it's it's it is fascinating. Did you grow up in Mumbai or or uh, elsewhere in India? Or? Uh, I did. I was uh, born in India, born in uh, Calcutta in India, uh-huh. um, but uh, I lived most of my uh, growing up years in northern India in a city called Kanpur, uh-huh. which is uh, really famous for this. Uh, uh, Indian Institute of Technology, which is a an engineering institute. Um, so my father was a faculty member there. And so I grew up there, but yet I moved to Bombay for my medical schooling. And after that, I came to U.S. for my graduate work. Uh-huh. And you did your, uh, did you, in India, it, uh, do you do a residency after you go to medical school? And it, is that the way that works there? Yes. So we have a, uh, we follow the British system, uh, which is uh, we do what is called uh, MBBS, which is a five and a half year undergraduate followed by residency. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, and what, uh, what was your focus in your residency? Um, I was doing anesthesiology uh-huh. in residency. Lots of good pharmacology and anesthesiology, right? Very true. It always uh, fascinated me. The fact that one could use uh, chemicals and, uh, um, alter the consciousness and a person could almost go away and come back is absolutely uh, fascinating. Yeah, and it's amazing how far it's come over the last, just last 20, 30 years, really. Yes. Um, and, and then um, what, what motivated you to come to the U.S.? Uh, well, uh, after a while, it, uh, uh, I think I was asking more whys than uh, uh, was I could answer it through medicine. And so I felt uh, compelled to sort of pursue that path and see if I can get answers to more of the whys that, I, that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I came here, pursued actually a, a, a graduate degree in uh, pharmacology, mm-hmm. continuing that trend of fascination with that topic. Yeah. And that was at, uh, uh, in Illinois, is that right? That was in Illinois, yes, Southern Illinois, yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then uh, at some point you end up at Columbia, is, I think, right? Yes. So I initially, joined, uh, after my uh, postdoc, I joined a biotech company. I was running drug discovery platforms there and uh, did a short stint in marketing. Uh, but then at some point I felt that uh, I needed to do something that was uh, uh, helping other people. And so that sort of led me to look for positions. And there was this position at Columbia University for a new, uh, what was a program back then, uh, which was a precursor to Target ALS. Uh, and uh, that intrigued me, the profile. Uh, and uh, that's what 
made me jo join that program, which was based out of Columbia University, um, that after a couple of years spun out as this independent nonprofit, which is known as Target ALS today. Uh -huh. And so the original Target ALS was basically a research initiative to better understand the mutations and non and and non non mutational uh, characteristics of uh, of ALS. Is that the idea? Indeed. In fact, yes. So the name itself, Target ALS, was uh, really rooted in the idea that there was a real dearth of therapeutic targets. Uh, based on a solid biological rationale. So we needed to expand that pipeline of therapeutic targets, hence the name target. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, at that time in around 2013, we felt that was a dire need. And so we did initially focus on identifying and discovering new genes and therapeutic targets, biological mechanisms, which could be uh, modulated um, for uh, therapeutic benefits. And it was a program based out of Columbia University and the per the objective was that the funding was not for Columbia University, but Columbia University was allowing us to leverage their administrative structure to uh, implement the program. Um, and it was to credit of Columbia University that they allowed us the flexibility to do that. Um, and how did Target LS come to be? Uh, it was funded directly, uh, not through an NIH grant, but some other type of funding, right? Yes, so I mean, the story of Target Ellis really starts with our founder, um, uh, Dan Doktoroff. Um, after his father and uncle passed away from ALS, uh, he decided he needed to do something about this disease. And uh, he's the one along with uh, uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies and then David Rubenstein came together as founding members. And they founded Target ALS, uh, which as I said was a program out of Columbia University. Um, and then uh, subsequently, we recognized that uh, uh, a, the program needed to have a certain level of nimbleness uh, for a disease where the, uh, there are no treatments and the clock is always ticking, so to speak. Um, and it was unfair to burden a university system uh, to move as fast as we needed to move. And so that's when the, we decided that it was best that we were an independent entity and became an independent 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and, and that's how we have been since then. You know, it's, uh, so it's 10 years since, since that began. Uh, a good time to take stock, I suppose. Uh, I imagine that's something you're doing. But to a person who has only a, a peripheral involvement in ALS, but, but a meaningful involvement, um, it, it feels to me like the last 10 years have been years of extraordinary progress in better understanding the genetics of ALS and, and all of the various contributors to ALS. Is, it, it, I mean, do you see it that way as well? Indeed, and in fact, you make a great point. Like if one looks at the decade preceding, let's say 2013, um, as you know, the SOD1 was the first gene which was identified to cause familial forms of uh, ALS. And as we all know, there is a clinical trial ongoing targeting SOD1 right now. And that's an extraordinary span of time for a target to be identified and a trial to start. Um, if one looks at the last 10 years, the uh, progress has been exponential. And as you well know, Stan, uh, there are always multiple factors. 
Uh, one of them being this expansion of the therapeutic toolbox with the technologies like ASO, which NLORM is so masterfully uh, applying to nano rare disease forms, but also this uh, a real exponential increase in the fundamental understanding of the genetics and biology of the disease. Uh, and ALS in some ways has been at the forefront of the cutting edge of uh, neurodegenerative research. And so what we have seen as uh, work funded through Target ALS, where there were these ideas which did not exist, um, be identified, observed their observations made in the lab, and within a span of five to seven years, uh, transform into an ongoing clinical trial. And I think that speaks to the uh, real growth in the understanding of the biology of the disease. But we like to think also because of the existence of the kind of ecosystems Target ALS has created where investigators and the ideas they have, have the opportunity to accelerate uh, using the uh, funding mechanisms and the different tools and resources we provide access to, to sort of fast track towards clinical trials and, and be really rooted in a, a strong biological rationale at the same time, which as you well know, that's the only way we'll, we'll increase the chances of success in clinical trials. Yeah, I think the word that you use is a really apt word, which is accelerate. Uh, and the pace at which uh, um, knowledge has been gained over the last 10 years is a product of all the investment that took place over decades and created genomics and all the other basic tools that we have. But the translation of those basic science advances to medicines and development is a very different kind of process. And you, you folks have played a, a, a critical role in that uh, with SODB1 being the first and Tofferson actually now being um, uh, at the FDA with an NDA filed by our partner uh, Biogen, which we're very excited about. Um, so how did you guys go about actually making this work? So early on, um, we, when we looked at the ALS research landscape in 2013, uh, we wanted to see what, there was a lot of funding in ALS, but what were the barriers that were really hindering progress towards clinical trials? And what we found was um, there were real um, silos within the research community. So if you look within the academic research community, there was not as much collaboration, but also there was complete siloing between the academic and pharma biotech industry. And as we all know, um, they are the experts in creating drugs in the end. Uh, the academic community is really good at uh, making discoveries and uh, we needed to combine and, and leverage the expertise of these two constituencies and incentivize them to work together. That was one of the key factors. And so what we decided was we needed to create an ecosystem that incentivized these two research constituencies to work together, but also in a way democratize ALS research so that anyone within an outside ALS research community with an idea on the disease could work on it. And so we needed to provide access to critical research tools and resources which they needed, uh, and they could partner with a, a, a complementary collab, uh, partner who had the expertise that was needed to move the idea forward. And so we, what we did was we started to engage the pharma biotech companies and in parallel really venture capital firms and uh, engage them in any formulation and 
implementation of any new initiative that we launched. And that brought with it their sense of investment in the process. And then we when we had these funding opportunities, they knew we were this neutral arbiter who is only looking to identify and support the best ideas. And the other key thing we did, and I give all the credit to our founder, Dan Doktorov, and he recognized this and said, we will not ask for any ownership of the data or intellectual property that is generated from the work that we fund or provide support to through our these tools and resources we provide access to. And I think that really one lowered the barriers to enter into ALS research, but also accelerated it because suddenly we were not adding a wrinkle along the way that we needed a piece of the pie if there was success. And I think the results speak for themselves in that way that we have had uh, six clinical trials come out of our ecosystem. Uh, we, have, we have funded over um, now over 50 um, collaborative projects and uh, more than half of them have had an industry, a pharma biotech industry partner and over 60% of them have an ongoing drug discovery program come out of the research we have supported. So there's real movement because of all these different uh, elements that we put into place. And so it's a remarkable model. And would you say that others are paying attention to what you guys have done and emulating it? Because there's no reason this couldn't be a portable solution to lots of diseases like ALS, right? Very true. And I, and before I answer that, I do want to point out that we also practice what we preach. So it's not like we incentivize and ask the community to collaborate with each other. We collaborate with other foundations and we are very proud of it. Mm -hmm. So we have multiple partnerships across the board uh, with organizations working on ALS, but also related neurodegenerative diseases like FTD and Alzheimer's disease, for example. Um, but yes, to answer your question, it's been really gratifying to see that sometimes when um, uh, there is a thought to launch a new foundation on a different disease. Uh, we have been approached to ask about the, uh, the model that we have pursued and see how they can adapt it. Or sometimes organizations that have ongoing efforts have uh, reached out to us to understand better how we have uh, implemented this model, which has attracted so much uh, uh, um, engagement from across the research constituency and uh, apply elements of that in their own model. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, of course, many of the folks that we deal with at, at, in Lorem in the nanorare community are engaged in, in trying to find solutions and forming their own um, institutions, their own uh, nonprofits, and sometimes for-profit organizations as well. And uh, are, are, have, you, have you thought about actually uh, writing uh, up the, the model and, and, and presenting it in more wholesome detail for people who might take advantage of it? Yes, I think uh, more recently uh, it is, uh, uh, as we have grown, uh, we have, there's been this recognition and it's a realization that it sort of behooves us to share the lessons we have learned along the way with the wider um, uh, research community. And we feel a special kinship to uh, the constituencies that are working on what are classified as orphan diseases as ALS is as well, uh, because the challenges are unique uh, in these types of disease spaces. So, uh, but certainly these lessons are scalable and are applicable to uh, more common uh, disorders as well. And uh, recently we have had conversations uh, 
where someone was interested in uh, working on Alzheimer's disease, for example, and wanted to emulate this particular model that we have pursued. And there are elements that are certainly applicable in those disorders as well. So yes, to answer your question, we are, and that is a, an ongoing effort, and we hope to be able to uh, share that with the wider community soon. Good. I think, I think it will be very valuable. So focusing on ALS now, how many different genes and mutations uh, have you, is, is the community aware of that are associated with ALS now as of this year? So uh, as experts like, uh, generally like comment that there are about like 31 different genes that have been associated with uh, ALS. And that number may very well grow as um, the efforts continue to identify uh, new uh, genetic mutations. Um, and one of the things that'll be helpful in, in that regard is to uh, create bigger data sets and, and not only create, but create access to these big data sets. So uh, investigators worldwide can go in and um, analyze these and uh, identify new mutations or, and uh, further the science as we know it right now. Um, and, and that those are some of the areas that we are working on uh, diligently to see how we can uh, help the community move the needle on, on those efforts. Are you moving beyond just genomics and trying to understand uh, how the, the interplay of genomics, epigenomics, and the other kinds of omics uh, yield then these, these changes in pathways that result in, the, in, in a common end product, which is ALS? Yes, and in fact, one of the major areas of focus for us has been uh, this uh, natural history study that we have ongoing. And the, uh, the whole purpose of that was to uh, create a very comprehensive, uh, integrated resource of uh, biosamples and uh, omics data sets that could be made accessible to the worldwide research community. And they can then go in and query this to answer the kind of questions that uh, they have and to understand the biology in a more fundamental manner. So uh, we, and this was in response to an overwhelming uh, uh, ask from the research community. So in 2019, we did this, uh, uh, we asked the community, we spoke to over a hundred uh, members of the research constituency from uh, pharma biotech, venture capital, academia, nonprofits. And they overwhelmingly said that target ALS must do something about access to human biosamples and longitudinal biosamples. And so we have this, we launched this uh, natural history study where um, we collect um, uh, biosam biofluid samples longitudinally from uh, individuals who have ALS and healthy controls. And this is, you know, is an incredible um, contribution from individuals who are facing the disease. And uh, then uh, the idea is to, uh, we'll have whole genome sequencing data sets, but we'll also create additional omics like whole, uh, uh, unbiased proteomics, lipidomics, metabolomics from these. Uh, we are going to measure some uh, uh, biomarkers and the right now neurofilaments is certainly one that we are going to measure. And the idea is to have all of these data sets in one place along with the de-identified clinical and demographic information. And as you can see, the more comprehensive this data set is, the more impactful it becomes. So that's where we are headed right now. That's wonderful to hear because it's certainly one of the main lessons that I've learned over the last three years. There are a lot of genomics databases 
but very limited amounts of genomics coupled to other omics coupled to phenotype and natural history. And so setting that up is going to be, you know, just a, an unbelievable resource that should help solve this disease. And I, I should mention, uh, Stan, that the one of the missing pieces sometimes is that these sometimes fragments of these types of data sets are created, which is in itself um, part of the equation, because as you just articulated, the more comprehensive it is, the better it is. But also it's a question of getting access to this data set. So putting them on database platforms that are easily accessible and enable analyses at the level that is required are key pieces. And so we are addressing that as well. So we are going to build a data platform and make that accessible to the worldwide research community as well. So um, I guess the next question I have um, is just how did uh, Dr. Neil Snyder come to be involved in Target ALS and how's all that working out? Uh, well, Neil is a, um, as you know, is a fantastic physician scientist and uh, has a unique uh, sort of bandwidth when it comes to understanding basic biology and uh, obviously and the, the, cl the clinical uh, trial um, spectrum. He, we were lucky that Neil Schneider got involved with Target ALS early on. And in fact, he gets uh, largely the um, credit for our ability way back in 2013 to be able to share um, stem cell lines with the research community. He's the one who allowed us to do that. Uh, and uh, he has also been integrally involved in our efforts to collect the biosample effort that I had mentioned earlier. Um, but then again, you also know that he has uh, been a really a, a pioneering uh, figure when it comes to uh, the efforts to treat N for one uh, type of ultra rare forms of ALS with his uh, trials on first. But then I know he has expanded that in partnership with NLORM under the umbrella of Silence ALS program that he has launched and. Um, we are incredibly proud to be associated with that program and to be partnering with uh, NLORM and with uh, Columbia University to be the uh, give seed funding for that. And it's, uh, we are certainly looking forward to expanding that partnership because uh, that very much uh, aligns with our overarching uh, mission to treat all forms of ALS. And uh, as you know, with ultra rare forms, these are not... Uh, uh, since the, the number of people worldwide who have these mutations are so small, it is not a commercially viable option for pharma biotech companies. So we at Target ALS certainly feel that it is our um, uh, moral imperative that as a nonprofit working on ALS, uh, we do our level best to further these um, uh, endeavors that uh, NLORM and uh, Columbia University have right now started. Well, I think we're entirely in tune with each other about that. These patients who have these nanorare mutations are desperate and, and a commercial solution isn't achievable. And so we've uh, very much enjoyed the interaction with Silence ALS, Target ALS, <laughs> all of the other uh, sort of uh, elements there. And as I understand it, uh, you and Dan Doktoroff are in the process of raising a, a much larger fund uh, that should allow expansion of the effort broadly, but also with regard to the extremely rare uh, forms of ALS that we're interested in helping in, in Lorem. 
Uh, very much so. Um, and uh, really, as you mentioned, the, this the, all the credit goes to Dan and his uh, vision to found a, uh, Target ALS, but also his uh, uh, commitment to scale up the ability of Target ALS to impact um, the research. And uh, we are committed, as I said, our mission is to find treatments for all forms of ALS. And uh, the treatment of ultra rare forms of ALS is a major component of our sort of what we call the seven pillar strategy that we have moving forward. So uh, uh, I expect that uh, uh, starting uh, next year, we, we, the community will see uh, a much larger commitment from Target ALS to accelerate the efforts. And always, as you said, the key word is to collaborate and accelerate. So uh, that those are the operative words uh, when it comes to uh, our efforts to working with you as well. Yeah, well, we very much look forward to, to that. And uh, right now we're working on one patient uh, and even that is, is an extraordinary event in the history of drug discovery that that two organizations would come together to focus on helping a single patient. And do you want to tell us about that? Well, I mean, what I would say is like, it is not, it is a, one could say it's a single patient, but it's not a single person being affected because each person is connected to so many others. And in, to me, that is the sort of gratifying um, uh, takeaway that I get from that. And the, the, is the amazing feeling of, uh, uh, if one could treat even one person, I think that's a crack in the glass ceiling, if you will, for ALS uh, patient community. And I think the, it goes far beyond that, the ripple effect, because it's the lessons learned from that one study can have a far wider impact. And that's how we see this uh, effort is that uh, by treating uh, multiple, let's say ultra rare forms of ALS, the lessons learned could certainly, and we hope uh, will point of, uh, in a direction that'll uh, be applicable to the more common forms of ALS. Obviously, 90% of the cases are sporadic. So uh, in the end, uh, there are some common final pathways. And if you can identify those by working on these different um, familial forms, I think uh, we may find those answers that we are all seeking. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think what people sometimes don't understand about science is that to understand complex problems, we reduce to the single um, variable changes and then work from there. And patients with nanorare mutations present a single variable that has actually caused the disease. And from that, then we can extrapolate many important lessons. And we expect to be learning a lot about ALS with our collaboration with Silence ALS. Yes, I think it's important to note that uh, although we are talking about uh, what would, one would call a clinical um, study, but related to this clinical study under its umbrella are uh, several programs which are what, what one calls preclinical to understand the fundamental biology underneath these uh, mutations. And that is where the information gleaned would potentially lead to solutions for other forms of ALS. And the beauty of uh, Anasense technology is it is specific. So if we set out to adjust one target, we will adjust one target. And out of that, we'll learn what happens with one target being adjusted. And that, that's a remarkable opportunity to learn in the right test subject, human beings, while helping them. 
yes i mean I, it's uh, when people ask like uh, i think this is one of the most hopeful times in the landscape of um, als research and part of it is at least a major factor is um, the availability of this expanded toolbox mm -hmm. and the fact that it's being leveraged not only by the private sector but by the nonprofit sector now which is I feel absolutely remarkable. What you are doing with NLORM Foundation is um, was a key piece of the puzzle missing. And I think we are just so excited that uh, we have now the opportunity to work with you to make a difference in a bigger way on this. Well, it's mutual. We're very excited to be involved in, the, in, in this. And our goal is to help these patients and learn from them. And I think we share all those motivations and so it's, uh, it's a match that's uh, ideally made, and we look forward to expanding it. Very much so. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Any, any, anything I haven't asked you, Manish, that you'd like to tell our, our, our folks who are interested in what we're doing? Um, you know, I, think we, I think we covered like uh, most of it. I think the one thing I would add is that um, sometimes when uh, people uh, think of and the topic we are discussing is about uh, uh, clinical trials. And, so, and uh, sometimes when we talk about target ALS, we, uh, we are known for uh, our ability to connect and break down silos between these research constituencies, academia and industry, and uh, furthering and accelerating translational research. Now, I think uh, if people look a little more closely, they will find that uh, what we are doing is we are really uh, funding fundamental biology, but that but fundamental biology with an eye on translation. Mm -hmm. That is a little, little bit of a nuance, which I think would be important for, to point out uh, that it is really through quality fundamental biological research, which is the harder thing to do, can one possibly get to potential uh, solutions for this disease. And that's important to know. Because I couldn't agree more. I mean, we are products of uh, the work that preceded us. We stand on the shoulders of the people who did that work, right? Very true. And um, so it's been a great uh, pleasure talking with you, Manish, and even a greater pleasure to work with you and Dan and, and Neil in, in furthering the treatment of patients with ALS. And we look forward to continuing to expand that relationship in the coming years. So thank you very much. Thank you, Stan. It's a, it's a pleasure. And, you know, it's a, quite a privilege every time to get to talk to you. And of course, we, as I said, are looking forward to expanding this partnership to make a difference for uh, the patient community. Thank you. And Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at nlorem.org. Search nlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. 
This video is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook and produced with the help of the following professionals. Thank you for watching.